I'm Will. And I'm Luke. And this is Will and Luke Discuss. A vodcast. And podcast. Where we discuss content related to psychology, personal growth, self-development, and well-being. This This episode, episode, we're discussing Beyond Order, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. I know you'll be having the graphic up on the the page. 12 more rules for life, mate. 12 more rules for life. Yes. So um, (laughs) I guess just a reminder for everyone... um, Listening that we we covered his uh, first book, Twelve Rules for Life, um, maybe a few months ago. It was probably like you know fifteen podcasts ago, and um, I think it was just certainly a, a book that we've both found quite uh, inspirational, motivating in different ways. It kind of a uh, it brings up ways to kind of a uh, scare you about ways of living that might be detrimental to you in the future, mm. but also motivating of ways that will um, encourage you to live a, a better, more fulfilling life, more rounded life um that's a bit more daring and courageous and facing things voluntarily and uh certainly this is um i guess this book in general he wrote when he was in um quite poor health so i think that um that shines quite a lot through (laughs) definitely comes across (laughs) yeah yeah there's some real kind of harsh gritty gritty themes that come up and um Mm. in terms of you know obviously we came across his books we've done um we've consumed some of his content before but also this was one that i am um, a book that i sent you um for your birthday in march and i thought it'd be good to kind of read it quite close to when it got yeah. released so this is a relatively new book and um i guess i'm just really looking forward to covering it with you and um i guess just to preface everything you know like last time we did a 12 rules thing we decided not to kind of go through each rule bit by bit and just really to talk about the the bits that stood out to us we found interesting finding yeah. with other books we've read and um bits we found motivating so i'd uh, I'd, I'd be interested just to kind of um get your kind of brief take on yeah. how you found the book um and um i guess where this kind of fits into um some of the other other yeah. books we've read yeah so i guess i want to say that it's it's like a these two books both 12 Rules for Life and Antidote to Chaos and this one, Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life, they come as a pair. So it, he, uh, Jordan Peterson, really focuses on this concept of ordering chaos, right? That um, It's kind of like the foundation concept of life is ordering chaos and too much chaos uh, is what his first book was trying to um help us with so how do we put more order in our life when things are just a bit of a mess yeah and then then this is kind of like a follow-on from that a sequel it's like well but what can happen if if you have that order how can you then you know take that further and live more fully and what what's the damage of having too much order in one's life Mm. in one's society in one's family so um firstly wanted to say that yeah and that's you mentioned him writing this when he was ill. It, it's, I guess, just as the the broad <clears throat> genre of the book, it's very like, it sounds very, oh, what's the word, like desperate and gritty. Like, it's mm. like it's like someone shaking you every, every chapter, being like, "This is not yeah. the dress rehearsal. Sort your life out." Like, yes, what yeah. the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. He just he doesn't hold back, or, and I feel like that comes from a person who is probably suffering a great deal and recognizing that you know there might not be much more of life left, and um, make the most of it and be a good person. We, we've certainly touched on his, um, you know, obviously previously, like on his writing style, but he doesn't kind of beat around the bush. And there's so many, um, I'm sure we're going to um, read a few as we go through, but there's some quotes in there that you're just like, bloody hell. He just like, <laughs> he's really just rattling you. Like, this is what will happen if you don't do X, Y, Z. Yeah. Here's yeah. what you can expect to face and do not ignore this and face this. And it's just, it's a, it's a jarring read. It's a motivating read. It's yeah. a painful read, it's a confronting read, but um, I think that's kind of what um, people who enjoy his material get from it. I think it's certainly, um, I-, I take it as just like someone who's trying to pass on some real life advice. And yeah, you put yeah. it really well, like that it's not a dress rehearsal. Yeah. Um, and it's and also to add um, on to, yeah. gripping, like it's, it tells yeah. a lot of stories and anecdotes um, around the points he's making. And yeah, I guess the last two books we've read have been very, detailed and evidence-based and empirical and, and sciencey for want of a better word and they've been mm. great but they've been like dense whereas he puts in a lot of story around the concepts which just gives you a bit of time to 
breathe and read and sort of enjoy yeah. the experience of reading rather than just seeing it as a learning um, experience. Definitely, yeah. And I think um, I think certainly um, him doing them as as a pair has worked quite well because I think maybe he's been accused of being quite uh, heavily conservative in his views in the first book and being, you know, a big advocate for, uh, you know, traditional values and not questioning those. And I think he does, to some degree, I think he, I don't know if he struggles, but I think it does kind of veer back towards that, even though he's trying to do a book <laughs> yeah, that's I a, found bit that. more, a bit more <laughs> towards chaos. I, I found sometimes, you know, kind of, he's talking about, um, yeah. you know, when order's not enough and that we need to update our maps and yeah. our current knowledge is incomplete and we remain ignorant as the world changes, if we remain too stuck in traditional ways and things aren't changing, we need to like stretch out into chaos, Yeah, but we yeah. need to feel secure enough to go and do that. And then yeah. he'll kind of attempt to explain all these ways that, you know, chaos and um, creativity and, you know, liberalism, liberal concepts are kind of really good for our creativity and for things to change. Yeah. But then occasionally it'll just kind of get dragged back to like what his original point was. And I found that yeah. quite amusing to see that like, that's probably just his stance. Yeah. And this, yeah, is, yeah. His, this is his attempt to kind of uh, um, maybe, maybe please, not that I think he was actually trying to please people, but like please the crowd that thought he was too far one way. So this is mm. maybe kind of like a more balanced version of his original argument, mm. I would say, as opposed to kind of a completely contradictory, just going like chaos, like, is the way forward <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> yeah. yes it's a more yeah it's a more balanced um nuanced version i think it is, it is certainly like kind of an update on his first book and i i enjoyed it i'm, I'm certainly uh yeah i'm jarred into action i'm, I'm interested to hear what bits stood yeah. out for you. i've certainly got a few chapters that um struck struck yeah. me yeah i know we're, we're not going to go yeah. through all of them but uh, i think it's worth just reading the titles of all the rules just to give a flavor for like what he's trying to get across. Sure. Yeah, I think I'd be I've good. Got... Then that kind of uh, wraps up a bit of a like a five minute introduction. Then let's get yeah. stuck in. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So rule one: Do not carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievement. Rule two: Imagine who you could be and aim single mindedly at that. Rule three: Do not hide unwanted things in the fog. Rule four: Note that opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated. Rule five. Do not do what you hate. <laughs> Rule six, <laughs> abandon ideology. Rule seven, work as hard as you possibly can on one thing and see what happens. Rule eight, make one room in your house as beautiful as possible. Rule nine, if old memories still upset you, write them down carefully and completely. Rule 10, plan and work dilig diligently to maintain the romance in your relationship. Rule 11, do not allow yourself to become resentful deceitful or arrogant and rule 12 be grateful in spite of your suffering mm, I, I, feel, uh, I feel like just I'm, the titles give quite a good flavor <laughs> yes yeah I, th I think that was a good idea and i i, uh, I guess I, i've got to point out that i kind of noticed that there's this uh this kind of slight uh this grin smile on your face as you're reading them out I because they're so they're <laughs> so confronting and so challenging that it kind of uh it forces you to go like, oh, he's probably he's probably right about a lot of this stuff. But yeah. it's uh, kind of sometimes the only way to hold it is to hold it lightly and to kind of explore it in your own way because it's uh, it's certainly very jarring. Yeah, I'm certainly not laughing ways, yeah. in any mocking way. I I I, I find no, comedy no. in the directness of it. I think, and I think it's good yes. to write directly because you know there's there's no time for beating around the bush when you're reading a book. Mm. You know, you've you've chosen to take a few hours out of your life to do that. So fair enough. Um, it just mm. tickles me. Do not do what you hate. Because on the one hand, something like that sounds so obvious, <laughs> but you know, yeah. obviously he digs into. It. And yeah, I think that's it as well. The t some of the titles are like, well, yeah, <laughs> but there's much more to it than uh, yeah. the, than the title. So I, I guess I'll, I'd be um, interested if you dive into one that you uh, struck you the most or something like that. Yeah, cool, cool. So th there's there's four rules that I've really kind of pinpointed as like these are the ones, yeah. and then I was kind of open if you kind of suggest other ones and I've obviously got notes and just ideas yeah. around them as well. So yeah. I guess in, in terms of trying to at least go down just to make it easy so Deep I'm not jumping around too much. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I guess rule two, imagine who you could be and aim single-mindedly at that. Yeah. Um, I guess the the main gist of that one that I've kind of captured here is that like there is more of us that is yet to be realised. Yeah. And although that life gets in, in the way and things get busy, it's our unwillingness to take full advantage of opportunities 
that hold us hold us back so exposure to new experience activates dormant potential and i really liked that thought of um you know if you pick one thing to go for and really dive deep into it you kind of learn the nuances you fully expose yourself to like that experience and those mm-hmm. learning opportunities there's so much of you that could um manifest with a willingness to go wholeheartedly at one single aim Mm, so it makes me, it makes I guess me think, this um, yeah. corresponds with that other one then, doesn't it? The work as hard as you possibly can at one thing and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, yeah. I thought those two were quite similar. But mm. there's a sense as well, which, which I, I liked in this, is that you, can't, you can also not choose what you're interested in. Like there's something beyond your... Uh, conception i guess that grabs you like sometimes i don't know like you might get i was thinking about this as a as kids you know you get pulled towards a particular musical musical instrument or genre of music or sports or 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 Mm. people or whatever and it's you can't really put your finger on why that thing but there was something that just grabbed you and i guess he was also saying that um that that's yeah, you, you've got to kind of follow that through, really. Or, mm. or, well, there's something mysterious about it because it's not like you're choosing to be grabbed by those things, but but they're your things for whatever reason, for whatever mysterious reason. Those things that grab you are yours, and and don't just like let them go. Just you know, follow mm. through with them because those are yours. And and if you got that motivation behind you, wherever it's come from, however mysteriously it's found you that's the chance for your sort of character to grow if you can like push yourself down an avenue and see how far you can get doing it. Hmm. I, th- I think, you know, in terms of like picking up that bit, you're saying like pushing yourself down a particular avenue, you know, yeah. when we think about that, it's, it's kind of pushing yourself to the point where you're going to experience like continual growth opportunities in that one area. It's not necessarily like you pick a direction and it's all kind yeah. of happy sailing and it's just good the whole way. Like he's talking about, you know, continual deaths and rebirths within a single domain, which I, which I quite like the idea of, you know, thinking about, you know, staying in a particular career for a longer amount of time or one particular job, like really deepening your knowledge in it, like knowing the nuances, like the highs, the lows. Whereas if we kind of, um, we back out of things the moment they become difficult, we lose an opportunity to learn. So it's really that, like he says, you know, that he who dares, wins mm-hmm. you know and like that that builds character and yeah. you know, in the process you know picking up you know like noticing your errors along the way yeah like so you can grow and reorientate yourself and like challenge yourself and course correct and like rediscipline yourself in yeah. the process of transformation i think there's like i think what he's really picking up is on that like um that value of seeing things through mm-hmm. because of the growth opportunities that that will give to you yeah and it's it and yeah. and doing something that way is better than doing nothing at all so like mm. whatever it is it, it doesn't matter so much as the actual doing of it <laughs> and once once mm. you commit yourself to something and um see how far you can get in it yeah like you say you'll you'll be confronted with challenges in many ways um you might have to let's see so like i've been teaching recently and i've had to overcome anxieties to do that but because i really want Mm. to do it and see value in it that's enough force for me to work like do that whereas you know something like if i wasn't that bothered about it if it was just a job i picked up i don't know just because i was desperate for the money or something and i still had that anxiety there it'd be so much harder to find the juice to um i guess challenge my character in that way without that Mm. motivation behind me if that makes sense. Mm. Mm. It was, um, I guess, kind of like early on in the book, I think it was a good chapter, kind of got the, uh, put his intention out. And I certainly feel like it was kind of familiar to some of um, his other content he's put out there. But I think it was it was nice, you know, kind of like talking about um, how through sticking at one thing, we kind of develop a story about ourselves as well. And like we learn through story and we can't, if we stay with something, we can like build a narrative around like the the job or the task we're doing it. Yeah. Kind of, can become part of our identity as well. I mean, it, I actually don't think I've got a whole lot more to add to that, but I, f- I think that was a good, interesting chapter just to kind of kick us off. Um, I don't think he made, any additional um, thoughts yeah, to that. He, yeah, he made a counterpoint to this, you know, this idea of like follow something through or don't quit. He also talked about like 
when you start doing anything, you're, you're not going to know what you're doing. You're going to be at the bottom of the mm. ladder, right? And to some mm. degree. So, mm. so you'll be at point A and the point B you choose might not be wh- what, where you actually want to end up or where you end up going. Cause what do you know? But at least you've like started on a journey and like, let's say you've, you know, you've veered off to the left a lot and then you've got close to your point B and you realize actually this isn't for me. I've learned a lot along the way and now I want this. And now you sort of zigzag mm. back the other way. Um, but you wouldn't have known to make that decision had you not followed the first path. And then you end mm. up perhaps zigzagging along the way till you find, well, you, you never really arrive, do you? But like it, there's something about whenever we make decisions like that, there's always going to be a certain amount of ignorance and we will change our, not change our mind, but, but through the growth and learning we do along the path, we then have more resources to choose our direction in a, a wiser way. Yeah, yeah, and also I think to, to a degree as well, it's um, kind of holding this this idea and this sentiment, like in the moment, like when we're doing new things that we find difficult or challenging, or starting something yeah. new, kind of reminding yourself that oh yes, this is like a process. I am learning along the way. Like maybe there's a day in my new job that I really don't like, but actually that's maybe a chance for me to learn. Kind of rather than kind of expecting everything to be kind of great, or if it doesn't doesn't work out, drop it. This is kind of just a good reminder to. Yeah, keep keep that perspective that like when we're working towards our goals and looking to enjoy life or start new things, like this mm-hmm. is, this is the process. Like we do zigzag along the way, and that's 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 life as much yeah. as anything. And he was talking yeah. about there's a there's a difficult the difference between quitting and knowing that when you've got wise enough to change paths or change direction. I think I this is a really good point to move on to um, rule five. Actually, okay, I think I, like as the contrast, like um, do not do things you hate. I yeah. think that kind of, kind of just building on your point there, maybe um, maybe continue elaborating, and I'll see if I can bring in some ideas from from that rule because it's talking about like when to when do you stop participating in a process that isn't serving you, or a, like um, when when do things become a waste of time? Essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I perhaps wasn't even thinking that in to that degree of suffering about it, but I don't know, like. Mm. Uh, I don't know me and you used to both well be into music and performing and stuff and we don't yeah. really do that as much anymore does that mean we've quit i guess in some sense we have but it's like maybe we were never gonna be you know pop stars and, and that's fine but like as yeah. a teenager <laughs> i feel like treading that path gave us a lot like it's nothing i regret at all and just because i don't do that as much anymore doesn't mean I, I don't know i don't have this sense that i've quit at something that i was on a path with it's like i gained a lot through that i gained a lot of character performing gave me lots of mm. chance to overcome anxiety practicing a skill constantly gave me a lot of chance to see what learning was all about at an embodied level mm. it gave you and i a lot of experiences to travel around the country a bit and even in this podcast you know i, I edit the audio in a way i wouldn't know how to do had i not learned music technology and stuff so like yeah i guess even the song at the beginnings one we wrote together uh, yeah so. exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah. it's like yeah um i guess that, that's a real life example of where you kind of travel a certain way along a path and you learn a lot on the along the way and then perhaps enough to then zigzag but you're still going forward um mm. and i guess there's a difference between that and and quitting because like you're, you're uncomfortable with uh, the fear of failure or something like that. There's a difference between sort of choosing directions once you've got the growth from something it was going to give you mm. versus like turning away and hiding. Well, I, th- I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just like looking at something on from rule five, particularly says yeah. so we pursue what is worthy of sacrifice and pursuit. And I wonder whether like in regards to kind of us stopping music, we kind of felt that, um, uh, you know, at, at the time, it was a really good sacrifice of, you know, our time, our energy. Yeah. It felt worth pursuing because that was kind of like the biggest goal we had at the time was to do gigs and to travel around and to write yeah. music. And then maybe other goals kind of emerge from that or, um, you know, become greater or more important to us. And then yeah. eventually we realized that kind of just the weight, the weight of our time is actually, you know, I should probably sacrifice more of my time to study example for you like your your master's in psychotherapy and then for me you know studying like social if things kind of i guess you learn the importance of the thing you're doing and whether you're willing to continue sacrificing it you know i guess i guess that's probably the decision that came for me with that there was actually like 
music's now actually going to be a hobby and I'm not going to finish my, um, my music degree because I felt that the sacrifice and pursuit wasn't worth it. It didn't mean that it wasn't yeah. important, but it felt like in balance, it wasn't um, worthy of sacrifice necessarily. Yeah. 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 And so if with, with that rule five, then do not do what you hate that let's dig down deeper into that. So that that's perhaps not, it goes beyond this sacrifice isn't worth it anymore. And into mm. when you might actually be doing something that's against your conscience. Um, yes. Yeah. Being like not being true to yourself and, yeah. you know, vi- violating your, <laughs> your desires and your, what's important to you and your inner drives. Yeah. Or like sitting back while something you think's not quite right is going on, but kind mm. of keeping your mouth shut because it's the easier path. I guess yeah. that's quite a big yeah. theme in a lot of his writing is like speaking the truth when it's hard to do so. Yes. And, you know, confronting things that we find challenging or we disagree with, with truth, you know, that yeah. kind of. And I guess this yeah. rule is not just about speaking that, but acting in that way as well. Like I'm not going to participate in this. Um, mm. I'm, I'm struggling to think of a, a live example off the top of my head, but I think in the, in the book, his example is a client of his, she, who she was in a job and it was, you know, fine and fairly fulfilling. And then like the whole culture of the work started turning and it started with this meeting they had where um, they were discussing whether to change the name of flip chart because someone decided it might be racist because flip might be a Filipino slur oh, or yeah, something. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't know that, but apparently this, like this thing became quite big in the business and then other things started mm. coming in, you know, whether to call blackboards, blackboards. And it was like this, I think it might've been a human resources department. And this stuff was like taking up like <clears throat> all, almost all the job. And it was like, we're not actually doing the job anymore. No one's even complained about these things. We're just internally mm. talking about it, having meetings about it and, and uh, I think she was wondering why she was getting depressed and this was all coming up in the therapy and sort of decided mm. not only that she was going to, well, I think first she made a presentation on not that specific example, but why these types of cultures that grow in organizations um, are detrimental to the mm. Uh, culture of the organization was, and started yeah, like yeah. doing lectures on that and then um, okay. I think ended up even like quitting the job and pursuing that so she kind of took something that was um, sort of soul destroying found why it was soul destroying turned it into something she could you know a motivation she could actually pursue in life and ran with that yeah it's um, i think you know he's talking as you say like a lot about like violating our conscience and he's saying that like our conscience has primary claim over our action so if we're kind of going against um that small voice inside of us that will lead to eventually kind of like behaviors that we don't agree with so what what he's saying in one of his um you know like i guess confronting quotes you know like be be true to yourself and don't violate that kind of inner mental self that you have Mm -hmm. he goes otherwise we suffer the emptiness of betrayal perceive abstractly and then experience the bodied form of the loss that is inevitably to come Mm -hmm. so it's just like i I think he talks about that in a lot of his stuff really Mm -hmm. like it's a really key theme of his but it's a i guess it's just a reminder to like not ignore the part of us that kind of knows something to be to be wrong or mm. something we feel like we should speak speak out about because if mm. we ignore it it will eventually lead to kind of us acting in certain ways that we don't agree with yeah when we yeah. could have prevented that in the first place so i think he's saying don't do things you hate because down the track you'll become the person you hate you're acting in a way you don't like yeah i mean yeah. like you said you're kind of violating your a part of yourself you're disowning that part mm. of yourself for the sake of i don't know social ease or whatever it might be it reminds me of the um the stanley milgram studies the obedience studies where um it was they're sort of trying to wondering how people could um basically a whole nation could, could become nazis and how some of the officers could do some of the atrocities they did and so they were seeing what people would do for the sake of obedience. So they had someone in a lab coat, I think it might have been, I think it was Stanford. And um, you have a, a learner and a teacher, and these are participants in the study. 
and the teacher um, asks the learner a question and then if they get it wrong, they get to electrocute them. At least they think mm -hmm. they are. And it's like the dial says, you know, like the level of pain and it goes up to like damaging and then potentially fatal. It says that on the dial mm -hmm. and, and they're kind of like, so long as there's someone in a lab coat saying to the teacher, please continue with the experiment people would sort mm -hmm. of electrocute strangers up to yeah um they weren't actually electrocuting them they were actually actors who were pretending to be electrocuted so no damage was being done but the 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 participant who was the quote teacher in the experiment thought they were giving them potentially lethal doses of electrocution just because yeah, wow, someone okay. in, in a lab coat yeah. was would um instruct them to and uh, i guess it, it reminds me of that because i know jordan peterson's well into all the 20th century um atrocities of communism and nazism and stuff mm. so like yeah I, it was something like 65 to 70 percent of people would, would kind of go all the way and it, it was something like 30 percent of people oh, would yeah. say yeah i refuse and it's like what what is it within those people that allows them to sort of listen to their conscience despite authority mm. telling them otherwise mm. And then what, what is it about the people who kind of ignore that part of their conscience yeah. just because yeah. we're, we're so easily swayed by the people, I guess. Yeah. What, um, any other, I'm guess interested to kind of hear what other rules, um, interest you. I mean, I've got, um, I'm pretty sure I, I like seven, eight and nine, <laughs> <They're> like <laughs> probably three, three of my favorites. So, um, but, um, certainly if there's any, um, I'd be interested to hear what, uh, what stood out for you. Um, well, this I guess this is running along the same kind of theme we we're just talking about. But rule three: Do yeah. not hide unwanted things in the fog. Um, yes, very yes. similar to some of the stuff he talked about. You know, don't lie about not lying in his other book, Twelve Rules for Lying. Yeah. Um, but I think he he gives an example of like um, was it his dad um, who who like for for lunch for 20 years this this person's wife had been serving him sandwiches on a particular plate and then like one day he was like why do we use such small plates and it was like a story that was <laughs> joked about in the family because and yeah. the humor in it was that it's the first time he'd mentioned it and it'd been happening for 20 years <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, and, yeah you know he says maybe he was having a bad day or whatever but like don't it's like these little things matter things that um especially in relationships that that you're invested in don't like well don't leave these things in the fog you know if there's mm. stuff there like seek it out don't purposely yeah. hide it because um it's uncomfortable i, I found that uh, like yeah and, admit and, to your feelings yeah like admit to kind of what's going on because if you kind of ignore like if he's ignoring that frustration about the plate or whatever like he's yeah. not admitting to kind of his inner experience he's not acknowledging it yeah. And then obviously that's going to lead to kind of eventually some sort of a, some sort of explosion or some repressed feelings. Yeah. And we don't always know where it will take us. Right. You know, it might not be about the plates, but until you start to have that conversation, mm. it, it, you might need to articulate. I'm so frustrated at eating off these tiny little plates. You might need to say that however silly it feels first for the other stuff to allow itself in and to be like, Oh, actually yeah. there's this that's going on and this that's going on. And yeah. so some things can be embarrassing in, in relationships to admit to feeling like, I don't know, jealous or guilty or anxious or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, mm -hmm. like you say, until you admit to those things, it, it kind of keeps everything beyond it at bay as well. And I, yep. I think he's saying a part of you knows that and sort of wants to keep it at bay, but, but don't do that. <laughs> well, he's, he says, because we've been like hurt and we've been hurt before and hope has failed us. Mm -hmm. Like ignorance is bliss. So mm. we kind of we can kind of build a um, a common way of reacting, just kind of like ah, oh, just put it to the side or forget about it because mm. at times before we've brought things up and it's kind of led to pain or we've expected things and they've not happened. And yeah. he says he says like the fog is um it, it's the refusal to notice to attend to our like yeah. emotional and motivational states as they arrive, and the refusal to communicate them to yourself and to other people close to you. And, and which like, can be so yeah. tempting in any given scenario, but um, in terms of like your character, which I guess a lot of these rules and books are really fundamentally about, right? Mm. It's sort of damaging mm. over time to build that habit of doing that because it will just become a reflex and it will become harder. And then mm. you won't be someone who attends to things and 
chaos is more likely to hit you out of the quote out of the blue more likely if you Mm. don't face the things that you know are already there um those three rules link quite well to each other actually i think the (laughs) the first three we've done there is like a a common theme and uh i guess there's um you know further to that you know linking it to like you know maybe sam harris is lying definitely and um you know around kind of like how we we bend reality and we kind of we hide it from not just other people, but from ourselves when we, mm. when we kind of don't acknowledge and tell the truth. You know, we kind of hide things from ourselves. It doesn't lead yeah. to um, positive relationships or kind of living, living in a world that actually is reflecting back what we're putting out. Yeah. I, he also talked about lying in Rule 11. Um, do not allow yourself to become resentful, deceitful or arrogant. I guess it was about the deceit. And he yeah. was saying yeah. just that, that... Um, and it was so much, it reminded me so much of when we covered that book, Lying. It was like... Yeah, it, I've, got, I've got some bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like we, we create maps of the world and of ourselves and of how things work. And, and if we start lying to others or to ourselves or just deceiving, he talked about acts of commission and omission, like we've discussed mm-hmm. before, you know, whether it's overtly lying or just like hiding truths to allow someone to, to believe a mistruth um so you don't mm. even have to actively lie for that to happen but you can sort of let them believe things that might not be true it's like you're not you're not allowing your own map of the world to be as accurate as possible and you're sort of it's it's cruel to allow other people to have inaccurate maps of you in the world as well and it's like mm. he says it takes a certain amount of i guess fear and resentment and, and even arrogance to think like yeah i'm I'm allowed to shape your view of reality in an yeah. in a, in a inaccurate way. Like I have that, that you power. Know best. It's almost yeah. taking yeah. a godlike yeah. stance f- on your behalf. Mm. And he was like, "Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that." Yeah. I think I'm um, e- even further to that. The bit I found really really interesting about that rule eleven: um, yeah. do not allow yourself to become resentful, deceitful, arrogant. Um, in particular, to like um, telling the truth. He's saying like when we tell the truth, we can like rely on ourselves as a guide, as opposed to distorting our function uh, yeah. and judgment. So the, the mechanism that guides us, our instinct, our instinct that runs below like cognitive processes. Yeah. Like if we're, um, if that's distorted, then we can't rely on ourselves. And one day we're going to really need to know what the truth is and where yeah. we stand and where we're going and like listen to the dictates of our conscience. Yeah. And if we haven't like strengthened that, and you know we are kind of our deception muscle has kind of gotten too strong yeah yeah we're on really uneven ground like yeah. if if the yeah the guiding principles and mechanisms are kind of a uh, distorted through um omission commission yeah i, I, I sent- guess essentially like i think that's really in- i thought that was particularly interesting in that i'm chapter, sure you yeah. sent me that on whatsapp didn't you i, I, don't know. <laughs> I think, I, I, think I, I i i write i write a swear word underneath it as well i was like <laughs> yeah i have it here like, the connection yeah. between deception and the deepest of orienting instincts can be profitably comprehended in the light of that if you understand that deception corrupts and distorts the function of the most fundamental instincts that guide you through the difficulties of life, that prospect should scare you enough so that you can remain careful in what you say and do. A truthful person can rely on his or her innate sense of meaning and truth as a reliable guide to the choices that must be made through life's days, weeks and years. But there's a rule that applies, the same rule that computer programmers know well, garbage in, garbage out. If you deceive, particularly yourself, if you lie, then you begin to warp the mechanisms guiding the instinct that orients you. That instinct is an unconscious guide, so it works underneath your cognitive apparatus, especially once it has become habitual. If you rewire the unconscious mechanisms that maintain you with assumptions derived from something you know to be unreal, then your meaningful instinct will take you places you should not go in proportion to its corruption." there is little more terrifying than the possibility that you could come to a crisis point in your life when you need every faculty you possess at that moment to make the decision properly, only to find you have pathologized yourself with deceit and can no longer rely on your own judgment. Good luck to you, because nothing but luck will then serve to save you. Oh, that's such a, (laughs) that's a hell of a paragraph, isn't it? That's a... Yeah. So you're saying that there's something under us, something that... Like yeah. our, our instincts are that 
that will get corrupted if we lie to ourselves and others. Sorry, go mm. on. I'm kind of, a, I guess I'm just, I just wanted to explain, I'm laughing at the bluntness, like in the same mm. way you were laughing at the time. It's just so, it's just so direct and just mm. so well-written. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, very, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, I agree with that for what it's worth. So yeah, same. when I'm smiling, it's because of how like impactfully blunt it is. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I think, um, yeah, I guess just other things from that that chapter is, um, yeah. you know, he's kind of talking a bit about um, if we're able to um, understand evil and negativity and life's difficulties, like we invite yeah. those things in um, and we immerse themselves and we understand them, then they won't manifest as much. So I guess it's kind of linked a bit to, you know, some of the previous stuff he said around, um, you know, kind of like understanding your darkness, but also mm-hmm. like understanding the darkness of other people and other people's yeah. motivations um like explore that on like a deep and dramatic level like to really yeah. understand that so you yourself don't become resentful um yeah because um we he says like we have reasons to be to be bitter and um if we can understand our own motivations other people's like maybe we're in a better position to like not allow ourselves to go down that that path of yeah. resentment i really enjoyed yeah. how he uh characterized that as well um mm. So you mentioned the idea of like seeing things as a narrative and that has a running thread through when we did search mm. for the secure base as well in attachment yeah. theory. But he said that we, we share an inherent narrative of the world and you know fundamentally there's order, order and chaos and then there's um, nature and then culture and then the individual. And each of these have their kind of light and dark sides. So y- y- you've got order and chaos at the most fundamental level mm. and then with nature you've got like mother nature that the nature we feel warm and you know uh, loving animals and caring for the planet but we've also got the nature that wants to kill us <laughs> and, and yes, destroy yes, us yeah. with weather and uh, and natural disasters and then in culture you've got like the wise king and the and the tyrant and so we've yeah. got the protective order of culture that protects us from nature, but we've all, that, that can also corrupt and become tyrannical when, when we can be oppressed. And then at the individual level, we've got the hero and the adversary. And the hero is the part of us that's willing to confront chaos, to um, see the wisdom in the wise king, but also confront the um, the tyranny of, of, of the tyrant and and to you know protect mother nature but also use culture to protect ourselves from 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 the um harshness of nature as well mm. and i guess mm. the point of all this was saying that we can become resent resentful deceitful and arrogant if we only see the dark if we just see mm. nature red and tooth and claw or if we just see culture as a tyranny or if we just see the evil in people you can't live that way. It's just going to corrupt you and you're going to back mm. out of life in whatever way. Um, mm. Whether you give up with I, nihilism I, or he talks about yeah. school shootings and things like that. Yeah. Really great summary of those, those points. Actually, I think that was, that was quite a complex bit of the book. You've just really summarized there. So I think that'd be good for us to go, go back to, I, I um something I found really interesting about like that, that resentment part was, um, you know, kind of by acquiring, um, like painful knowledge and like understanding the chaos and the ways that we can be destroyed and the unknown. He said, he says that, you know, we feel victim because of how badly we act and treat ourselves as well. Mm. Like we know, we know what chaos is because we don't treat ourselves or respect ourselves very well either. Mm. So we kind mm. of have a real clear understanding of what it's like to kind of act against ourselves in a way yeah. that's not, not helpful yeah and then yeah. kind of when that happens to us we kind of say why me but actually like we yeah. treat ourselves like that in the first place that yeah kind of it reminds balance. me i had of a lot of um uh the nathaniel brandon's six pillars of self-esteem you know the yeah the, you know shining a light in the darkness living in awareness and taking responsibility and looking after yourself and living with integrity it's all embedded mm. in those six pillars mm. and yeah it's the same sort mm. of message that uh, we, I guess we can see the darkness at any level. You, you're pointing out there that at, the, at our core level, we can see the, our own darkness within ourselves, our own willingness to hide things in the fog, to deceive ourselves and other mm-hmm. people, to um, ignore things that are important, to not pursue things that are meaningful to us. It's like 
I think if, if that's what you're saying, like when we seal yeah. that in our own souls, that's when we can and also how, how and we victimize. and also also the actions of that, like we we actively go against ourselves. Yeah. We do things that aren't helpful. Like we kind of we do things we know not to be good for us. Yeah, and you know, yeah. it kind of links back to some of the rules in, in the first book. But it's certainly, um, I think, yeah, the gist of it is kind of like by understanding chaos and malevolence in ourselves and that we can do towards other people. We, we kind of can be less resentful and arrogant by knowing that I think is, is the mm. key thing. He's like, you, you don't want to be living like resentful, arrogant. Like he told this, this horrendous story of like um, his wife worked in like an old people's home. Oh yeah. And this yeah. guy, the, oh my God. Yeah. I almost don't want to say it, but like how this, like even in like palliative care, this um, husband had car- carried on, carried forward so much resentment towards his wife that even when he was like filing her nails, he was kind of doing it too close. So it hurt her mm. like in her final, like dying days that actually like hurt to read. That was awful. Yeah. Mm. Just saying that we, you need to protect yourself against that because kind of when things get tough, it's easy to be like, why me? And mm. um, kind of feel that anger. And I guess that might even lead to kind of that final rule of, um, in a strange way, like be grateful despite of your suffering. Like it's, it's easy for us to um, become um, like frustrated at the world and we, yeah. we have good reason to be, and there's, there's yeah. a lot of suffering that will happen um, to us and things we'll be involved with. But like, he's basically saying like, we need to act counter to that. Um, yeah. And, but by knowing our own like laziness and the way we can be bad towards ourselves and we know evil and pain, we can be more grateful maybe when those things aren't happening or even that. Or just the things we do have. Yeah. The things we do. Yeah. And even like, you know, an attitude of gratitude and love is what's actually going to kind of uh, help us transcend that suffering as opposed to kind of deepening us in it. So he's kind of, you know, the concept of like, you know, when, when someone in your family or friend will will die, which kind of person are you going to be at the funeral? Are you going to be the one who makes things worse or are you going to be the one who steps up and makes things worse? better and it's kind of thankful that okay actually like it's really nice that we're all together celebrating this person's life like trying to celebrate the good things as opposed to kind of um yeah having a family fight or yeah yeah fighting over the will or something you know i I guess um, yeah i feel like i switched topics quite quickly there but um, i I feel like there's some parallels yeah yeah so to be i guess it's so easy isn't it to notice with more attention what's bad and what goes wrong um it takes mm. more um conscious effort to attend yourself to what you do have and what to be grateful mm. for um and yeah and then I, I guess as you mentioned then to be willing to um want to make things better rather than worse which sounds That's, so yeah. like simple doesn't it but i mean we see all the time like you say like i i've seen it not um as, as a sort of observer, not someone involved in the death, but I've seen a family of a friend arguing for years over the will of someone who's died. And it's just like, like siblings are being torn apart. And like, that's the last thing the person who died would want mm. to witness. Yeah. It's just, mm. you can find, yeah. So it's, it's so, so easy from the outside. Right. But, but you, you gotta be the person in that who can use your courage to pull people mm. together if you can and act against the tendency we have to make things worse because that's kind of what we yeah. we do like we're lazy and we act against ourselves and we we have misguided motivations and he's kind of saying you know despite this is one of his like quotes again you know despite the burden of my awake mortality i'm going to work for the good of the world mm. like i'm going to endeavor to make things better not worse mm. you know yeah. that's a yes a hell of an attitude to like carry forward. And I think, yeah, as you say, that comes from understanding kind of our, our darkness and the ways we can make things worse with yeah. our, with the way we act and the, the attitude we take and the way we deceive ourselves and the way we deceive other people and the way we avoid responsibility and the way we, we look to kind of hide things in the fog, you know, it all links together. It's kind yeah. of like yeah. c- confront things and you're probably in a better, um, better chance of doing good when times yeah. do get, do get hard yeah be yeah. willing it i mean essentially that's if i could sort of summarize both his books it would be sort of that like be a good person <laughs> try to be a good person and it's it's such yeah. um 
you you can simplify it so much but it's a it's an attitude that you might not think to consciously take like i guess it 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 requires opening up what a good person means but largely he's talking about be willing to see things clearly even when it's uncomfortable be willing to articulate it and act in line with your conscience be willing to take responsibility for things rather than shy away from it be willing to try yeah. hard at something so that mm-hmm. you can develop your character which will not only be good for you but it will be good for friends and family in your life and hopefully if you can choose a path to do something that's good for society as a whole that would be good and if everyone kind of chipped away at that we'd all be in a better place Mm, mm. I'd be really interested to um, touch on uh, rule eight, um, yeah. which is um, try to make one room in your home as beautiful as possible. So for me, this kind of expands a lot on um, the rule in his previous book, which is um, pet a cat when you walk past oh, yeah. it in the street, yeah. um, which, which a lot of it is about, you know, kind of like smelling the roses, like engaging in, yeah. in, in beauty, slowing down, like enjoying things whilst they're going good and kind of, I guess, being present and, um, respecting life rather than kind of like charging through it too quickly. And I think this would this certainly ties into kind of the concept of the whole book around you know kind of order and chaos. Like if we're too ordered, we're going to miss the um, we're going to miss kind of like the ever changing, interesting, mm. awe inspiring aspects of the earth. You know, and it's kind of what he's saying here is you know like um, establish a relationship with beauty and use it to guide my life by. Um, and you know, making sure there's like we're keeping in a richness, a, a richness about life, and like mm. we're immersing ourselves more in beautiful things because beauty, and he particularly refers to you know like art and music and mm-hmm. other aspects of culture, like stretches beyond the familiar. It goes yeah. outside of the the order we have, and if we're too stuck in order, we're not opening ourselves up to kind of like quite a trans transformative thing, which is kind of the chaos, the unknown, you know, he talks about how like yeah. artists can't always actually explain what they're trying to, to paint mm. or musicians aren't really able to explain how they hit that note or why things make sense. There's yeah. a lot of things that we, we actually can't imagine and can't comprehend, but the only way we can kind of access that and transcend is by kind of immersing ourselves in beauty. And, and also, I guess in a practical sense, like making room for it and what he's mm. um, running that back to is kind of, making one room in your house beautiful is kind of like as a starting point, like mm-hmm. create some level of like respect for, for beauty and honor that piece of art and mm. allow it to transform you and make a space for it rather than kind of cluttering your life with things that aren't beautiful. And I guess a messy room, which doesn't kind of inspire much or yeah. um, that's, that's my, uh, my extended summary of that. I wonder if there's anything else. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple yeah. of things going yeah. on there, isn't there? Yeah. Whereas yeah. He's talking about, it's like this boundary between order and chaos in the culture artists are the ones like the first frontiers of that they're the, they're the people who are, are are grabbing something that's in chaos and putting it in some form whether it's a painting a piece of music a dance mm-hmm. but it's it, it it's just moving it slightly out of chaos into a bit more order and then maybe um, the storytellers come along and, and write something, and, and then maybe the philosophers try and pull out the actual morals of that or something, and then maybe the scientists come along and try and do experiments. But the first yeah. and foremost people who confront chaos in societies or artists, I found that very interesting, their function. Mm. And I guess by having a piece of art that means something to you, and you might not even know why, but have it like having that in your life in in on your wall or whatever it sort of reminds you of that boundary between order and chaos and and that first point where it's like this this has meaning but i don't know why <laughs> like it yeah. it does something to me and i can't put it's it into inspiring. words yet. yeah yeah and i think it, um it certainly made me question you know in terms of like what actions am i going to take forward from this like yeah. what i need like where can I engage in beauty more? Like, do I go like in nature enough? Um, and yeah. even to, you know, kind of, it might sound a bit um, true, but even like watching like England in the, in the Euros, like there's something about that, that kind of, uh, you know, seeing us get to the final and the feelings of like winning those games and feeling part of something mm. bigger. And you can't quite explain why it means so much to no. you. And it's so important. Like why that, that goal against Germany, like you feel that in a way you've, you don't feel 
on a regular basis. Yeah, like it hits yeah. you at a different level. And like music does that for me. Um, yeah. You know, um, nature does that for me. Like football does that for me. Like, and it's, it's really good. It kind of like makes you see the world in a different way. Like even thinking about, um, you know, trying to like some crazy link to like the four hour work week by Tim yeah. Ferriss, like by changing your environment, by going to other places, seeing things yeah. differently, it changes, it changes you in ways you'll, you'll never know, you know? And that's, uh, that's like a, a lyric in the, in the song, the intro song to this uh, uh, yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, like <laughs> mo- going somewhere new and seeing something beautiful, like makes you think differently and kind yeah. of pushes your boundaries and you react in new ways. And you didn't realize like what potential or beauty you had inside of you without kind of um, being open to it in the first place. So if we're yeah. too narrow and we're too focused on structure and work and, being placed on time or whatever it is like we, we kind of lose that um we lose access to things yeah. we we don't know exist you know there's there's a world out there that we kind of if only we paid attention or opened ourselves up to it could reveal itself to us if you stay in the yeah. same territory there's never any reason to change your map yeah that's a great point <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did, did you uh, did you get any um did you get any links with um marie kondo here at all I put query Marie. Oh Kondo. yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> query. Um, I hadn't thought about it, but now you say it. Yeah, obviously she like the. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, I could probably relate that to the book, the parts of the Marie Kondo book that I was like, oh, this is getting too much for me. Like the way she would like thank her purse <laughs> at the end of the day and uh, like take everything yeah, out yeah. and and like touch each yeah. object and show it gratitude. But um, but so. But no, that, that choosing what possessions in your life spark joy, that's that's tapping into that meaning that you can't really put into words, right? Like sometimes you just don't know why something means something to you and maybe that's okay, And but it's still something to listen to and to kind of keep around. Mm. And he says it keeps us um, immune from like cynicism as well. Oh, yeah. Like we're yeah. constantly reminded of like, beauty and kind of how unpredictable things can be. We, we, yeah. we don't get like cynic, cynical about the world because we're constantly struck with, with all these amazing transformative things that kind of yeah. stop us from getting too rooted in our delusions and angers. Yeah. On a, um, I guess, shallower level, I found that chapter really funny. Like <laughs> yeah. it just, he, yeah. he gave lots of personal anecdotes and he talked about for like something like four years looking at a thousand paintings a day on ebay <laughs> and like <laughs> having back and forth with these like ukrainian junk dealers and then like yeah. laying them out on his floor and asking his wife like what he thinks it's just like <laughs> that's such a hilarious thing to do it's his uh yeah i guess it's one of his uh oddities i suppose yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and he talked about like he spent a, a good while talking about i guess the um about museums and how there's something almost offensive about taking like loads of beautiful things and then shoving them in one space and like having any indication that anyone could appreciate it all at once. Like why not put one beautiful thing in one room or even in one town and maybe, you know, Mm. maybe that's enough. And then the next chapter, well, next part of the chapter he was saying, and then I filled my room with like all these paintings. And I know that contradicts the last thing I said, but you know, (laughs) where else am I going to put them? (laughs) That that was what that did. Yeah. yeah. I was kind of like, as I was reading, I'm like, that's a massive contradiction. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, I guess as we're kind of, um, getting slowly towards the end here, I think something yeah. that um, might be might be useful is maybe you could just read out a couple, um, if there's any quotes you've highlighted, and then we can move on to like final reflections. I just wonder if that might, um, that might be something useful of doing. Um, there's certainly a few I've kind of uh, Go with yours, because I haven't got any offhand, so it'd take me a minute or so. Okay, okay, yeah. So um, in, in the chapter, um, if old memories haunt you, write them down carefully mm. and completely. Yeah. Um, he says, there's a quote, he says, you must confess at least to yourself and repent, at least within yourself, and you must change because you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, just about, I guess, like, confronting things that you've uh, oh, yeah. you've misunderstood or done wrong in your life, and you've got to confess that, um, like, entirely to yeah. yourself and within yourself if you expect any way of changing. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was quite... quite Can I pause on that? Because yeah. that, that yeah, chapter yeah. Um, meant a lot to me as well. That if, if yeah. chapter nine, if old memories still upset you, write them down carefully and completely. Yeah. Like, I guess on... Um, it, it really painted a picture of 
of how I often see like clinical work in psychotherapy, particularly mm. uh, also based on attachment theory and, and all the narrative structures we talked about in that. But yeah, we emotional and important experiences in our life by definition are the experiences that change our maps of the way we see mm. things. And it's so important also at what stage in development we were when we had those experiences. Cause someone who's, well, you know, someone who, who's four doesn't have the cognitive capacity of someone who's 12 or 20, you know? And so depending, like we're going to have experiences in developmental times where we drew a conclusion we wouldn't draw now if we had that same experience yes and yeah. if that's been like locked away as a, as a trauma or just never revisited then on a sort of um embodied level on on that sort of um yeah i would say embodied level we're still going to believe that conclusion to some degree so it's really important mm. to go back to those experiences tap into the emotion we felt at the time and then look at it from a more adult or perhaps more objective perspective and tie in the um, the sense of emotion we've denied with our new framing of the situation. And only then can we yeah. sort of update our maps. And that's basically yeah, how I see psychotherapy. That's what we're doing. We're helping clients write stories, rewrite stories that they don't even know they've written, but are locked into yeah. their maps of the world and themselves. Well, we spoke, you know, about that in um, the search for the secure base about something can be, um, I suppose, like logically true. Yeah. Then is it like emotionally true? Does it yeah. feel right on a gut level? And I suppose yeah. in from, from what he's saying here is like by going back through these like old experiences or if they're still haunting you, like we can do exactly what you've just said. Yeah. You know? um, and he says, um, you know, um, vital information, if not addressed, will manifest in emotional disruption. So right. it's kind of, if they're still bothering us, we're still going to be acting out those in ways yeah. that aren't helpful. And the prime example of that would be kind of some examples of attachment theory, you know, yeah. like obviously if someone, um, you know, upsets us in a relationship, do we pull back or do we move towards? Yeah. And I think um, another like big quote in this particular chapter that I absolutely loved was, you know, yeah. we are not allowed to avoid the responsibility of actualizing potential. <laughs> like that, that's yeah. such a, you know, it's kind of, if there's to a degree, we have a responsibility to kind of change and update our maps because if yeah. it's not helpful to us, then it's not helpful to other people. And we have, we have yeah. a responsibility to like understand ourselves, understand our experiences, how yeah. they impact us, how they impact other people. And I guess do our best to kind of, um, course correct like yeah. know what needs to die how can we adjust our like internal hierarchy by understanding like what we contributed to the situation yeah. by confessing to ourselves by confessing within ourselves and acknowledging that like vital information that's kind of guiding us in a way yeah. that's not helpful to us like we have a responsibility towards that yeah and, um, and writing really it really drills that home yeah. yeah and writing it down forces you to do that it forces you to be coherent because when you write you know you write in sentences and and mm. you have to tell that story it, it's it's the opposite of hiding things in the fog it is writing down mm. a story of an uncomfortable experience you've had and he talks about clients as well in his psychology clinical practice where you know they'll tell a story and it will take ages it'll be full of emotion it will be a bit disjointed and then they, they might tell it again in some other point and it'll be more fluid more coherent and then till they get it down to the gist and now the the new moral they've got from that story and um that's when he's saying you can see that yeah that the map has changed they're no longer seeing themselves or the world in the way they kind of locked in when that original experience mm. happened and he's saying we're free from like there's a little chapter, like we're free from the ghosts of the past. Like they're not yeah. kind of like haunting us and affecting us day to day. And I think, you know, kind of back to the points making, he says like, yeah. do not fall in the same pit twice. Like we yeah. really don't want to kind of re-enter into situations right. that haven't served us. And like, therefore we're not, yeah. we're not learning. And like, how do we, how can we have a more accurate story, a more updated yeah. map? And I think that's kind of, I, I suppose even just kind of like bring back the whole concept of the book again is that yeah. like we need to be looking to update that map. Like we can't have a rigid view on life and our experiences. Like yeah. we need to be open to looking at like what role we played, what what was the information we didn't know at the time when that situation was going on. Like what yeah. would we do differently next time? All these different angles on it in order to like understand ourselves and how that yeah. affects us moving forwards. Um, 
Yeah, and great like, chapter. That's, really that's great chapter. The answer yeah. to yeah, it's really quite a common thing to, to say something like along the lines of, oh, "Why why drudge up things from the past? You know, that, that's gone. That's been. It's done." And it, you know, there's some sense in which that's true, but but we're not doing it to drudge up things in the past. We're doing it because those experiences have shaped our current maps we have here today, which yeah. are determining how we feel and behave still in the present and will do in mm. the future unless we yeah. uh so if we still have negative emotion like strong negative emotion from things that happened a long time ago we haven't assimilated that experience yet and and it's not about drudging things up it's about changing your map of today mm. to not live in ignorance to yeah. like to like there's things we just simply don't know and we need to unpack those yeah yeah, yeah. Awesome. I feel like that's a, I feel like that was a really intense, uh, intense hour. <laughs> There's a lot to cover. Is yeah. there, um, if, if you're happy to, um, maybe just kind of any of your, your key takeaways or maybe something, um, you wanted to say that we haven't had a chance to speak about. Ooh, okay. Key takeaways, key takeaways. Yeah. I might repeat myself, but I'll, I'll sum up some of the things I've Go. already said yeah. today. Yeah. So, <clears throat> the yeah i'm gonna start with this one i really like this so it's worth repeating we we all have a, a fundamental shared map just because of the fact of being human of like order and chaos the nature the, like the um the good and bad side of nature the good and bad side of culture and the good and bad side of the individual and if we only see one half of that, we can fall into an ideology, which we haven't touched on much, but you know, any, anything that's like all those isms you can fall into where like, if I know one of your beliefs, I can just deduce the rest of them. Like when you fall into an ideology, that's from only having one half, either the good or bad half of this um, map. And so we're kind of responsible to see the good and bad on every level and at the individual level to focus on the good. And I guess that means shining a light on things, not hiding things in the fog, purposefully mm -hmm. confronting thing, things, even though you don't know what's going to show, whether that's in your relationships or following through on things that scare you because you're risking failure. Um, trying to, grab some responsibility for both your sake of your own character, but then also for the people around you and for society as a whole. And because um, the only alternative really is to sort of give up, hide and be a bit nihilistic and mm. that's not good for you or other people. So be a good person. <laughs> great that's a really that's great summary. summary yeah no i really i really like that um i think i, I would just like to finish with um yeah probably probably just two quotes i, I think i've said everything i wanted to say and i think yeah. your summary was really great there um i think uh i'm just going to finish with two quotes um so in relation to like accepting life's life's changes so he says you must sacrifice something in your manifold potential in exchange for something in real life aim at something discipline yourself or suffer the consequence consequence which is all the suffering of life with none of the meaning yeah. and then to finish says happiness is living in accordance with the sense of responsibility because that sets things right for the future to enact this we must act reliably honestly and nobly in relation to our higher good great stuff so <laughs> what do we uh, uh do you want to introduce next week's uh book and um yes. yeah go for it so it'll be coming up on scrapping up the title it's mm -hmm. called carpe diem regained the vanishing art of seizing the day i believe it also has a title in american that's slightly different um yep recommended to a friend of mine who i trust deeply so i don't know much about it other than let's work out how we can seize the day a bit more yeah, because there's um, I guess that the gist I got from the blurb was there's like a lot of uh, different conceptualizations of like how to live in the moment and seize the day and uh, mm. live your your best life and all that sort of thing. It'd be um, I'm I'm interested to hear. Of, yeah, uh, he also said it's a yeah, concept that, that. Uh, tra like 
is sort of universal and different cultures have different phrases that essentially mean the same thing like seizing the day Mm. so it's also perhaps quite a deep human um ideal and so it's worth exploring that exciting well that was a podcast number 30 we've had a bit of a (laughs) that was um that was probably our longest gap of not having one we've certainly both been been quite busy but um i'm sure we'll be back to kind of every two or three weeks and um uh Podcasts are now up on Spotify and iMusic, so I'll uh, I'll put the links in the show notes yeah. if you want to send. Yeah, we're going to send these to to now, but now we're all on audio. I think we're on seven major podcast platforms, so probably seven. the one you use it will be there. Exciting yep. stuff. So if that's your preferred medium, um, get stuck in. It's all there for you. So. Good stuff, mate. I'm uh, I'm happy with how we did that again. That was uh, I remember the first time we did the first one. We were kind of like, oh god, how are we going to cover all this? But uh, yeah. I certainly think we've um, we kind of managed to cover a lot of the key concepts and uh, um, capture maybe the the motivation it's inspired in us to yeah um, live better lives. Yeah, yeah. Nice one, mate. All right, mate. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. <laughs> chat to you soon. Stay present and chat soon. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. <laughs> See. Ya.